in the sci-fi classic Space Odyssey 2001. There's a famous scene where a primitive ape discovers that he can use the bones of a dead animal as a weapon to defeat a group of his rivals. So he takes it and he uses the weapon and defeats his rivals and secures resources for his family. And in the film, it marks the beginning of technology, which is a theme that the entire Space Odyssey 2001 story uh, centers around. It's the very moment where humanity realized it could use tools to shape its destiny, not just in the primitive age, but all the way into the stars themselves. Now, God is not against technology, but he is against idolatry. Technology itself is neutral. Uh, we can use tools to glorify God. God even commands his people to use tools and to use artistry and to construct buildings and temples and all these kinds of things. But tools can also be used to deny God and to seek evil, and to build in us a sense of pride and autonomy. And in Nahum chapter 3, we see God humbling the technological and military pride of Assyria. And that is a warning to all nations. Don't be proud. Don't trust in your power, in your technology, in your intellect, in your political alliances. Don't think that those things will stop the judgment of God. Don't fall for the illusion of control that technology gives. And Nahum's warning is not just for those in the 7th century BC, but also for us in the 21st century AD. This is a warning to humble ourselves, to take the gift of technology, to take the gift of all the good things that God has given us and use them for his glory not to exalt ourselves. This is Understanding Nahum. The book of Nahum opens with a description of God's just character and his powerful works within human history. He's the Lord of all creation and cannot be stopped by human armies. And this is good news for Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, because their time under Assyrian oppression will soon come to an end. God will reverse their fortunes and redeem their kingdom. And in Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, we catch a glimpse of God's sovereign power at work as he sets the destiny not only of individuals, but entire nations and kingdoms. This is Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey, the crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh, who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her ramper to sea, and water her wall? 
Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locust. Multiply yourselves like the locust. Multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes like clouds of locusts settling on the fences. In a day of cold, when the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? Nahum begins chapter 3 with a woe or a curse against the nation of Assyria. And he characterizes Assyria as a prostitute. Now, in the last episode, I made brief mention of how Assyria is often referred to in feminine terms. And this is a motif that God uses over and over again in the Old Testament, the idea of a whoring nation or prostitute. And he often uses that with regard to Israel whenever they turn away from God and whore after false gods. So here, Assyria plays the part of a prostitute, and she's luring the nations in with her charm and her beauty, only to devour and humiliate them. There's this conniving, evil, manipulative spirit uh, behind Assyria, this, this, this tempting prostitute. And what God says is that he's going to reverse her fortunes. He's going to reverse her fortunes by making her a humiliation for the nations through a military defeat. Her nakedness will be put before the nations and her shame before kingdoms. God even says he's going to lift her skirt above her face. It's utter humiliation. And the imagery shows, you know, you, Assyria, you're so proud. You ensnare other nations. Well, guess what? Now the tables are going to turn. The nations are going to see your weakness. They're going to see your humiliation. Your pride will be humbled. And God says, I've got a track record of this. He says, consider the Egyptian stronghold city of Thebes. Thebes had massive protections and it had the protection, the natural protection of the Nile River. And even that mighty city fell before God's judgment and went into exile. And the message is this, if I can take out Thebes, I can take out of Syria. I can take out its capital city, Nineveh. And Nineveh will face the same fate. They will become like a ripe fig tree. One shake is all it takes, and the fruit falls to the ground. Their troops will become weak and fearful women, and their previously indestructible gates will open wide, and their enemies will flood in and plunder their land. All their preparations, all the mortar and brick that they lay, all the stuff that they set up will be devoured by fire. 
and their massive armies will be scattered like locusts. And to top it all off, their political and military leaders will be caught off guard and no refuge as the entire nation grieves over their utter destruction. Their leadership will be rendered inept. Judgment is inevitable. God is going to humble the proud. Now, God's sovereignty looms large over this entire chapter. He's not only in control of the individual destinies of people, but entire nations as well. Assyria is not in covenant with God. That is, they don't recognize God as their own, yet they are still accountable to him whether they think they should be or not. And this is in line with Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So God is going to hold Assyria to account because they have universally transgressed his moral law. They have sinned against him. And this shows us that God cares about how governments and rulers operate. This does not mean that every government must be Christian or a theocracy, but rather that civil authorities are appointed by God to serve God for the good of the people. That's Romans chapter 13, verses 3 to 4. And it is because God has appointed civil authorities as his instruments of justice, they'll be held accountable to him. And Nahum condemns Assyria for being a city of blood and lies. Blood lines the streets. And it's actually going to be their own blood because they're going to be defeated by Babylon in 612 BC, the fall of Nineveh. Now, what we see is that the leadership of Assyria has been corrupted. They don't seek the good of their citizens. Rather, they commit injustices against them. And not only that, but they have no moral compass themselves. They use their military strength to brutally enslave other nations and boast of their might. And God, again, takes notice. Their shepherds are asleep. The kings slumber while their people are scattered into the mountains. Now, how does this relate to technology? Well, technology gives the illusion that we are sovereign over our lives. And God is mercifully humbling us and pointing us to a better way. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, cities and weapons are seen as manifestations of human corruption. But in Revelation 21, we see a new Jerusalem, a city, descend from heaven onto earth with the Lord at the center. And I think this is a great image here. We can use weapons and cities and industry and technology to build up our own pride, as in Genesis 4 and later on in the Tower of Babel, or technology can be a tool we use to glorify God with God at the center of it. Technology is a gift meant to glorify God, not to glorify ourselves or make us think that we don't need God. And it's interesting to note that in many studies, uh, people there's a, there's a correlation between uh, atheism or rejection of God and material prosperity. Something about being rich and healthy and having Control over all things with technology gives us a sense of pride where we don't really see a place for God in our worldview. Now, God's authority is not just in our hearts. It's over all of human history. And this is a point throughout all of the minor prophets and really all of the prophets. God is against the nations who do evil. And he's also sovereign over their kings. It's Proverbs 21.1. In fact, one of the ways God judges nations is by giving them poor leaders. And this is, again, what I mentioned earlier, that their kings are sleeping and their, and their nobles are asleep and their shepherds are asleep while their people are scattered into the mountains. 
This is a judgment on them. Now, again, Nahum's prophecy has come to pass in 612 B.C. The leaders failed them. All of their vaunted military might failed them. And the Babylonians, allied with the Medes, destroyed Nineveh. And that effectively ended the reign of the Assyrian Empire. And it's amazing to think that. I mean, if you were living in Assyria at the time, it's unthinkable that this massive power could be gone. And yet, what is history? It's littered with the corpses of once great and powerful nations. But the Lord is in control. The Lord is sovereign over all things. No chariots, soldiers, or siege weapons can stand against him. The rise and fall of nations are ordained by God. And this is a sobering reminder to us that God will hold our nation to account for its sins. You can't pull a fast one on God. God is not just thinking about individuals and their own personal lives, but God directs and judges in history. It's something to consider, something to think about, a terrifying judgment of God, but also it brings to light the great redemptive mercy in the gospel, that this is not the end of the story, that God will raise up his own king in Jesus Christ, and he has raised up his own king in Jesus Christ, who will bring his own administration of righteousness to this world. But until then, we trust and we pray and we believe that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord will bring justice.